Okay, Terry has given me the thumb and we're off and rolling and apparently this device that I didn't even know was working, so I've come over to say hi to those internet folks. I hope, uh, I hope you appreciate what we're trying to do. Maybe I'll talk about it here in a minute. I think I'm supposed to. Okay, February 28, 2016, lecture discussion number 231, I hope, on the Book of Romans. I'm having trouble with uh, remembering what day it is, much less what number it is. Before we return to Numbers 21 and Proverbs 30, which is essentially this board here, John 3, Isaiah uh, 42 through 45, that's pretty much where we left off as I put a flowchart or a diagram of how all this interconnection that I've been doing for almost six months begins to go together. Uh, Before we go back to that, I thought I'd mention a couple of things of interest. All of you are aware... Am I having reverb problems really quickly? I feel like I, I might be. All of you are aware that primarily Saudi Arabia has flooded the oil market. Gasoline has fallen below $2 a gallon on average in the United States. There is no indication that the Saudis intend to allow oil prices to rise for a while. Here in Alaska, this action has resulted in a state budget crisis. Oil revenue is 90% of Alaska's income, and we don't have any oil above $70 a barrel. We're in trouble up here because of all the legacy costs for the uh, government employees. So, problems abound. The obvious question then becomes, uh, what is the motive of the Saudis? What are they attempting to accomplish? And I have read what most economic, world economic observers uh, say. They see this as an effort to affect the U.S. oil production, U.S. oil exploration industry specifically, especially uh, the fracking technologies. They see the Saudis uh, doing what they're doing as a response to fracking technologies. Because, you see, it appears that the Saudis waited until the infrastructure for profitable fracking uh, oil recovery systems had been installed. So the Saudis said, we'll let this system get installed, and then we'll glut the market. And now those costs, uh, all all those recovery systems cost, if they are leveraged, and what I mean by that is if they are financed by interim loans, those systems are not operating, and so, but those loans are still in effect, is what is uh, considered by these folks that uh, write on this. That's going to pressure the investors significantly. That's going to pressure the, uh, the uh, organizations that are in the fracking recovery oil systems. And since, since the profit per barrel of oil has dropped before the, below the recovering costs, these companies that are entangled this way, in theory, would be forced to de- deactivate their processes, and that has happened. So most people see this um, as that being the means. And I'll concede the merits of that supposition. The Saudis may be considering the fracking systems as a threat to Saudi Arabian exports. They might be doing that. I'm certain they are aware that what they're doing is affecting that kind of oil development or recovery. But they would know that the American oil companies would know that they know that they know. In other words, the oil industry is not stupid. And they're well aware that the Saudis have a penchant for predatory techniques. They know that the Saudis would devalue oil if they thought they could wipe somebody out by doing so. 
No one proceeds with exploration, new technological systems, without anticipating the scenario that we're seeing. There's too much history. The oil companies know, and the Saudis know, and the oil companies, let me say it better. The oil companies know, and the Saudis uh, know that the oil companies know, and they also, everybody knows the banks know. No bank would loan into oil recovery without anticipating that the Saudis might attempt to attack it. And they would structure those loans anticipating an attack. So I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think that's why we're seeing the Saudis glut the market or flood the market. Everybody that's in recovery of oil, development of oil, refining of oil, has a contingency plan based on OPEC's actions in the past and what they might do in the future. Uh, there's nobody that is unaware. There's no ignorant investing out there, in my view. Contingency plans abound. Uh, abound I'm sorry. The fracking industries also have the advantage of time. They can wait this out if they have their loans structured correctly or if they have no loans at all. They can sit and wait. The Saudis are essentially starving themselves in a financial sense. Uh, Got to ask why. Why are they doing this? Because they're affecting their own wealth. Everybody assumes that eventually the Saudis will stop and oil will stabilize. I don't think so. I think this is related to Ezekiel 38. And as I think almost everything that's going on in the Middle East is related to Ezekiel 38. Why, again, would the Saudis continue to devalue their singular commodity? Why not warehouse it? They can sell it for a lot more. The oil companies, the oil development, the oil suppliers, the oil countries have always warehoused their oil. They do it in Alaska all the time. They leave things undeveloped for tens of years. Saudis are not doing that. So, here's my presupposition, if you will. I submit that the Saudis are considering the Russian and the Iranian economies. That is an Ezekiel 38 context. The Saudis are also, by extension, attacking not just the Russian and Iranian wealth structures, they are by extension attacking or impacting the Russian and Iranian military. Because what do the Russians and the Iranians do with their money? They arm themselves, just like the Chinese. So the Saudis are slowing the development of those military capabilities by dropping the price of the only thing that supports the Russian economy, which is oil. Russia and Alaska are very similar in how we are funded, the percentages of our economies that is oil development or oil sales. So the uh, Saudis are doing very much what Ronald Reagan did. They're trying to financially affect the Russian military as well as the Iranian military, my view. So how long can, can this go on? How long, how, how will it be eventually resolved? I don't think it gets resolved. I think we're looking at this and continuing until such time war explodes in the Middle East. We will find out if I'm right. I'm pretty confident that I'm right. Oh, did we fail to turn that on the redundancy? Whose fault was that, Terry? It was Dave's fault.
Absolutely right. Are you in the camera, Dave? Do they see you? Yeah. Dave is intentionally not letting you see who he is. Same thing for Bill the Cow, for those of you who requested those two particularly. Why, out of everybody, do they want pictures of Sup Dave and Bill the Cow? Clearly, there's somebody out there that is looking for both of you. I would, I would suggest, I would suggest it might be a legal uh, issue of some kind. There's a debt maybe from, I don't know. Don't reveal where you are or who you are. That's our rule here. Sorry, Sharon. Okay. I don't believe this is going to be resolved except for Ezekiel 38. I think this is an indicator that Ezekiel 38 is on the cusp. And we'll find out. I feel very confident because I have Ezekiel 38 and I have Isaiah 19 and I can make predictions that will come true. There is no doubt. Okay. On another note, uh, I just referenced to it, uh, Supper Dave filmed last Sunday's lecture as a trial. and uh, TJ is doing some things right now to see if he can add and what we can do uh, to make it a little bit better. We just put our own little system together to see if there was any real demand for it. And he put last week's lecture on the Internet. And I've gotten responses already. There's one I just mentioned. I've decided that I should wear slimming clothing. I looked at it. It's not pretty. This is not good. I, I need to go. Uh, i got to obscure my profile. I'm thinking black with black stripes. That's what my plan is. I'm going to look like Johnny Cash up here. I mentioned to the crowd that uh, I was thinking about wearing the same clothes every week just to see if anybody noticed and be funny. Anyway, we, we are working on this, this YouTubing uh, stuff. We'll let everybody know uh, when we get further advanced, and uh, if you have any questions, you can reach Sup Dave uh, as you usually do. Now, where was I? <coughs> this uh, flow chart, if you will, for lack of a better thing, is uh, Proverbs 30, 1 through 6. It's Luke 14, 25 through 34. Uh, here's Luke 14, uh, 24 through 34. Probably go back one if you wish, but I usually go 25. Let me change that. I think that's probably a mistake. So, <sighs> That's the bronze serpent. It's Aaron's rod. It's the ascending and descending. The seven questions of Proverbs 30. It's the workings of the triune Godhead with regards to the stretching out of the universe, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the creation. The baptism, as so many of you were able to figure out last week, and that's about where we were and where we remain. Uh, Bill the Cow, as he was departing last week, uh, suggested that I include the symbolism of wood. He said, where's your wood? Uh, and suggested that I include that symbolism in the discussion, wood being the material of the rod as well as the crossbeam, Exodus 7. Here's Exodus 7, and Luke 14 is the crossbeam. So he wanted to know when I was going to do wood. And I, of course, uh, knew that he was right. I didn't want him to know that I knew he was right at the time. And I might be able to uh, uh, convince him that I am not incompetent yet, but we'll see. But he absolutely is right. He did something in the pregame that... Did you fill, uh, film Bill the Cow's pregame? Oh, you did not. Okay, well, that's too bad. But Bill the Cow pointed out uh, a bunch of interesting things 
about wood and, and its symbolism prior to this lecture. Of course, besides the crossbeam or the crucifixion, the ones that everybody goes to when you're talking about wood are the three arcs, uh, the Ark of uh, Noah, the Ark of Moses, and the Ark of the Testimony, or the Ark of Covenant. All of those are symbols of Christ. Individually, they are symbols of Christ. They talk about Jesus Christ individually. Most people recognize the oak. It's covered in atonement. It protects the people inside from judgment or the waters of judgment. Uh, Moses' Ark is a little bit more complicated. We'll get to that in a minute. Most people see Moses' Ark, or all the arcs, as a coffin that in mind. So there's a death component in it. And of course, the Ark of the Testimony the same way. You'll see chests, you'll see boxes, you'll see boats, or you'll see coffins. All, again, are symbols of Christ individually and collectively. The redemptive work of Christ as a collection, as you know. Okay, the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant is carried. It's lifted up on rods, on poles. And it is covered in gold. So it is wood carried by wooden poles that are covered in gold. And it itself is covered in gold. It's overlaid by gold inside and out. Exodus 25.11. It has long been determined that the wooden structure of the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, covered, overlaid, encapsulated in gold, that this is portraying the hypostatic union of Christ. This is the ascending and descending. This is Proverbs 30. The ascending and the descending and the hypostatic union. That is the God in perfect humanity. That is the mystery of godliness. First Timothy 3.16 being discussed, being given to you in symbolism with the wood overlaid by the gold. That would be the deity of Christ in authority over the perfect humanity of Christ. The gold covering completely the wood. The gold in absolute authority over the wood. Now, make no mistake, the Ark of the Covenant testifies of the perfect humanity in subordination to the Godhood of Jesus Christ. There, If there is one symbol that makes it obvious that God's authority over his humanity is is a fact. It is the symbolism of the Ark of the Covenant. That's a fundamental truth of Scripture, by the way, that escapes Hollywood. You will never see a Hollywood movie that shows the gold in authority, absolute authority, over the wood. And what would we expect out of Hollywood? They have no other way but to emphasize the humanity of Christ, and they emphasize it as sinful humanity, as you know. And that is absolute blasphemy. Do they ever not do it this way? You name me a movie that has the gold overlaying, covering the wood. There are none. That's not an accident. I could rant now. I started to rant a little bit there, didn't I? I could, but I'm not going to rant. I won't rant. Most of you don't believe me. Why is that? Post ex- past experiences, I know. And you're wise to be suspicious. It makes me angry to see the deity of Christ uh, gone in almost every movie and presentation. Most sermons. 
That's why I emphasize it. I know the humanity is essential. I know. It's perfect humanity. I know why it has to be perfect humanity. I do not disregard it. But I know that it is terribly set aside. So, anyway, the ark would be where God would meet and speak with Israel from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that is on the ark, Exodus 25-22. And hopefully uh, you notice the mediation aspect of that, that Jesus Christ is being foretold as the place or the mediator, the one that speaks, if you will, for the Godhead. All of that, I hope you understood, and Bill emphasized it in the pregame, wood is humanity foremost. That's what its symbol is. When it is used as a symbol, most of the time, it is humanity. So apply that to the crucifixion. Where Creator God is uh, Himself, that's Creator God Himself, and what is he attached to? Wood. He has attached himself. Notice how I said that. Remember the scarlet worm or the worm that attaches itself to wood in Psalm 22? Jonah's worm, the crimson worm of Jonah, uh, the crimson cord of Rahab. That's telling us about Christ attaching himself to wood, which is God attaching himself to humanity. Did you see that? I've long said, how did the Romans drive a nail or a spike through God? That is not possible. So how did that happen? The Romans clearly cannot penetrate God. God had to intervene, didn't he? So he had to attach himself to the wood. He used the Romans to attach himself. By the way, they figured that out. All of them. They figured out who this was that was attached to the wood and there was no possibility a human being could have done that. All of that to say, pay attention to the uh, crucifixion of Christ when you are discussing the symbol that is wood. God uses wood as a symbol either for his added perfect humanity, the hypostatic union, or for mankind generally. Wood, when it is um, used as a symbol for mankind, is usually burning not good news. Wood burns. When the, when the flame was in the bush, did the wood of the bush or the leaves of the bush burn? Did not. That's, so I have a distinction. Wood that burns from wood that doesn't burn. Understand the symbolism there. Mankind is falling, fallen humanity. God is perfect humanity. That's one of the biggest does I could ever say. Now with that in mind, Let's now be about solving, so that once you have what wood is being referenced as and where it fits, let's try to solve Numbers 15, 32 through 36. It goes on our board. Actually, I'm going to flip it over because I don't want to give away where it fits yet. So here is on display for the vast Internet audience on YouTube. Oops, i got to erase things. This is the magic of the rotational reversing holy dry erase board that you've all heard about. I didn't take the time to erase it. Now, this is where the sermon kind of slows down and everybody goes and gets coffee right here. It takes a lot of coffee to get through the lecture, as all of you 
are aware. I've always wanted to feed the or have the buffet before the sermon so that everyone would sleep. I thought that would be interesting. As a high school teacher, I said many times I got very adept at throwing chalk-filled erasers at sleeping students. So I encouraged them to sleep because of the joy of hitting them in the forehead with erasers. Okay. Now, we're going to Numbers 15. And I will tell you right now to be suspicious of me. Numbers 15, 32 through 36. And the reason for that is we're discussing wood. And we're going to try to solve this. This comes up a lot. I get a fair amount of questions about uh, Numbers 15, 32 through 36. Um, but it also has a direct connection to Luke 14. So, and that's where we are as well. So if I'd flipped it back over, I'd put Numbers 15 up against Luke 14. You can do that. Next week I'll do it again. So don't worry. But uh, I get a lot of questions about it because of what people think it means. And, of course, it obviously never means what people think it means. I've never yet got a, a question on Numbers 15 that was in any way accurate as to Numbers 15. I dropped one of my ways in which I mark uh, where I'm going in the Bible. Oh. Okay, Numbers 15, 32 through 36. Medicine. Here we go. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Your Bible might say sticks. It's perfectly acceptable. And those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. I should point out that Numbers 15, 32 through 36 usually comes up with Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. You can read that while I continue and you can figure out why. Hardly anybody does Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 anymore. That's, uh, that is a ultimately Noah in the tent, Genesis 9.22. And Noah in the tent is very controversial. That is the phrase, as you may remember, the uncovering of nakedness. Every time that's a Hebrew idiom that means uh, sexual defilement, Leviticus 20 and 18, Leviticus 18 and 20 are about the laws concerning sexual defilement, and we should eventually venture into Leviticus 18 and 20. It never draws a crowd, trust me. Nobody wants to deal with this. And it's just not unlike what I just read you, horribly misunderstood out there. And it, when I say never draws a crowd, by never, I mean never. If I want the buffet all for myself, all I have to do is say, we're going to do Leviticus 18 and 20 next week. 
So I will never tell you that. I'll just slip it in. Never means never. And that, that is the Cliffside motto, is it not? Cliffside Community Chapel driving away every visitor every Sunday without exception. And that's what we're doing here. Is that a t-shirt yet? Uh, should be. It's up, Dave. Get on that t-shirt there. We should sell one. By the way, I should mention that for the internet audience, the, 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 the new filming thing went viral. I think when I was on it, uh, we had four people watch it. What are we up to now? Six? Wow. Lori said there was 18 to 20, but nine of those was Lori, so that really shouldn't count. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we're having fun with that. I hope you guys out there are too. So, but never mind all that. Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20 are usually completely misunderstood. No surprise there, so it would be good to take them on. I probably will. Uh, you can catch up or read ahead uh, on your own. Notice a couple of keys in those two passages or those two chapters. The repeating of the land will vomit out its inhabitants. That's a reverent, uh, reverent, sorry, that is a Revelation 316 reference. He repeats it and repeats it. The land will vomit out its inhabitants and their blood shall be upon them. Those are two phrases that God repeats. In Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. So start asking yourself as you read that, what's going on here? Why this vomiting out? Why blood? What does he mean their blood shall be upon them? But for today, let's say, is there any, what, is there another option besides their blood being upon them? What would be option two? If I said to you, your blood will be upon you? Or you could have option two, which would be what? His blood will be upon you. He says their blood will be upon them. Is it good for their blood to be upon them? Probably not. If you're going to be covered, pick the blood that works. Notice the choice there. Just pay attention to those two references. Ask the obvious questions. Do the same thing right now as I read Numbers 15:32 through 36. Hopefully you're starting to ask the obvious questions. And now we're to where we always are, which is to make the list. List makers are going to list. We can't stop ourselves. It's what we do. I do it because it makes the questions more obvious. So let's start making our list with regard to uh, Numbers 15. So first thing, God says, the children of Israel. He calls them children. Number two, they're in the wilderness, or B, wilderness. C, a man is there. Boy, you should have 50 questions right now, shouldn't you? There's a man out there. What's the man doing? He's gathering wood. Now, we just covered the symbolism of wood. We tied it to the crucifixion. We tied it to deity. We tied it to perfect humanity. All of those things, right? There's a man out there gathering wood. And he's doing it on the Sabbath. Boy, there's ten questions right there. 
And there's those who found him. So just think about that a second. Let me recap it. I got a guy out in the wilderness. He's gathering wood. Somebody finds him. And they bring him eventually to Moses and Aaron. all the congregations involved in this. And the man is held under guard. What's the obvious question there? How are they treating him? Find the guy in the woods, he's gathering. I found a guy in the wilderness, sorry, he's gathering wood. They bring him to Moses and Aaron. They, they involve Moses and Aaron. Let me put it this way. This would be the better way to put it. Uh, to use, a guy is found out in a forest. They see him, they bring him to the President of the United States and he's held under guard. This is being taken extremely seriously, isn't it? Why? The Lord says, H-I, no. And, and it had not been explained. Lucy has some explaining to do. It has not been explained. There was no explanation for what he was doing or what they should do with him. You pick. Who's supposed to explain what to do if you find a man in the woods on the Sabbath gathering wood? Who writes the rules? Well, it's pretty obvious. The Lord says, uh, says to Moses, Who's Moses? He's the prophet like unto me, Deuteronomy 18.15. That this guy must be put to death. Not just any way. Stones. It's got to be outside the camp. And the Lord commanded this. This is not a suggestion. And he commanded Moses and all the congregation had to be involved in the stoning. How many is that? How many, how many is all? All means all. How big a group has to participate in this? It's got to be outside the camp. Just think for a quick How many people are in this group? Hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And they all have got to participate. All means all. And the man died. Everybody has to be involved in that. And as is always necessary, 
when you look at one of these kinds of things. I hope you can anticipate the questions that I get on this that are almost always wrong. And I start them always the same way. Jesus Christ has to be found. I gave both Daniel's uh, typology books by Ada Ruth Habershon today. I've sent one to a lady in Tennessee. I realize that I need to probably just start flooding the entire country with it because no one seems to understand that Christ is all over the Old Testament. Not all over, it's marinated in him. Um, it, the, everything in Scripture testifies of Christ. In the Old Testament is, contains Christ. Christ must be found. Without the Christology, the meaning will be completely lost. You'll have no chance if you don't find Christ. Failure to begin with the magnificent truth that the Old Testament contains and testifies of Christ is to fail. You will never understand a single verse in the Old Testament if you don't find Christ. And he tells us that. Okay, so where's the first place you find Christ? I tried to write it as big as I could. You're going to look, you're going to go, wow, there he is. I don't know if you can see that. Let me kind of put it over there. I hope you can. No one should ever sit in that section. For those of you on the Internet, in case you notice that no one is sitting in the right side, it's because the entire middle is filled up full. (laughs) I've been thinking about, actually, I was talking to my brother about this the other day, the fact that we put a film on YouTube and he said, you have a chance to do your joke. And I, I have so many jokes and I can't remember them all, even though they're a finite number. Um, he said, I've always wanted a theme song. And my own theme song. You know, I felt, I felt very uh, envious of the six million dollar song. He had his own theme song. Both of my sons wanted to name their children Amos Moses because they'd have a Jerry Reed theme song, which I thought was pretty cool. No one, no wife has since allowed anything like this. But I could go and and take, well, Dave and TJ have the technology. I could take an audience from, say, uh, well, let's just pick somebody I make fun of all the time, Joel Osteen. And they would laugh. I could film and then I could place them here and we could cut to you as if they were there. I'd have not only a big audience, but I'd have a laugh track. Two two things that I want along with my theme song. Okay, clearly I was stalling so I could get more to drink. Jesus Christ is the great Sabbath rest. He tells you that he is. All Sabbath mentions in the Bible are Christ references. It would be absolutely appropriate. I do it all the time. Wherever you see the word Sabbath in Scripture, you write the name Christ, Jesus Christ, over that because he is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is talking about him. Every Sabbath, all Sabbaths. (coughs) Matthew 11.28 Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the Sabbath rest. I could easily write, I will give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Christ says in 11:28 through 30, I think. For I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's God identifying himself as the great Sabbath rest. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, on an aside here, is within the context of salvation by grace. You have a heavy yoke and you have a light or an easy yoke. The easy yoke is salvation by grace. Take off the heavy yoke, put on his yoke. His is light. So this is a grace, salvation by grace versus the great killing burden of law and work. So it is a reference to the Phariseeism that is going on at the time of Christ. Those who attempt to save themselves will perish under the weight of their own system. The only salvation, the only rest is in Christ. Rest equals salvation. Next, consider and ask this. Why is this man gathering sticks on the day that testifies as Christ? Who found this guy? How'd they find him? Just happenstance? How complicated is this story? Obviously, this is something unusual. It's very unusual. The text implies it. It's almost bizarre. Unthinkable. Whatever this man was doing, it had not been explained. God had yet to explain this. So what exactly had he been doing? Why was he gathering sticks or wood? What was he going to do with the wood? He could do a lot of things with the wood, couldn't he? What was his plan? Whatever it was, it was so evil that all of the congregation had to know. Notice that God continually, as I started out with, calls his people of Israel children. Where's Aubrey? Aubrey usually comes up to talk to me at some point. Didn't happen today. Aubrey is two years old, maybe what, three someday? In January. So she's only two. She is a child. God is calling his people children. Does it all the time. Calls us sheep and children. Is he complimenting us? Good for you. Continually does it. The children of Israel. Me thinks that this is not coincidental here. Duh. There is no coincidence. Nor do I think it is without great significance. It is with amazing, extraordinary significance. The Lord God Almighty himself says this. This man must be put to death as soon as it is time for God to speak about this. Obviously, God did not explain it previously because why? He's omniscient God. He knows evil. Uh, He doesn't cause evil, but he waits. Somebody's going to be gathering wood. And the one that does on the Sabbath must be put to death. Must be. There's no other way. No other option. I equate it this way all the time. Unfortunately, in today's vernacular, this may offend people. And so, I'm sorry, not really fake sorry. 
If somebody broke into this church right now, this is the most heavily armed church in all of Anchorage. I like it that way. I won't identify who is carrying what, but trust me, the whole place is, including the pastor. Somebody broke into this place intending to hurt one of you. I will interfere with force. That's what will ha- that's what's happening here. God is interfering on behalf of his children with force. This man must be stopped. And the only way to stop him is to what? Put him to death. If you don't put him to death, he's going to keep trying to kill you. That's the implication. How is gathering wood on the Sabbath so dangerous? There's no alternative. The man is attempting something that cannot be allowed. It is too dangerous to the children of Israel. So to repeat what's happening here, obviously God sees this man as a murdering threat. Yes, sir. Haha. Don't get ahead of the teacher again. This is twice now. <laughs> Let me see where that is. <laughs> uh, That is on, we still have to read that entire, we have another uh, ten verses to read. Remember, I started out saying, be suspicious of me. And thank for Bill the Cow, adequately suspicious. I am setting this up in such a way that uh, I have done exactly what everybody always does when they talk about this section. I'll repair that for you in a minute. But I did it on purpose, because it's always done. And I want to stop you from doing it. Just text me. Bill got tired of me uh, taking so long. But i got to fill the whole, the whole time slot here. That's why I get the big money. Maybe next week I'll have a different pair of pants on. Doubt it. <laughs> okay. Let me try to get back to where I am. Never take a, t- a question from the audience from certain people. I have to learn that. Okay. Obviously, God sees this man as a murdering threat. And he's going to stop him. God knows. He's omniscient. Duh. This is an intentional, premeditated, purposed, willful, and thoroughly considered plan from this man. So what is this man thinking? Did this man expect the condemnation that he's getting? Did the, this man expect God would do what he's done? Did the, this man suppose that God would not or could not act against him? Those are your choices. The, this man has a plan. What is it? If you read Numbers 15, 32, 36, as if it were some poor man who was cold out gathering firewood, if that's how you thought it was, which is how it is always portrayed, you are horribly mistaken. It has nothing to do with some poor guy trying to get firewood because he's cold. He's in the wilderness, also called the desert. What time of the year is it? And by the way, if you think that God is killing somebody who's out there gathering firewood so that he can keep himself warm and cook food for his him and his family, you are simultaneously calling God evil, aren't you? So let's go over it again. Who is this man? Who is he? 
Does this man know who he is? How did he get here? Where did he come from? Yes, he does know who he is. And he does know what he's doing. He was not found by accident. He knew that it had not been explained what should be done to him. He saw an opportunity. He did exactly what Bill the Cow said. He heard the first previous ten verses. And he knew he was not in those verses. Saw an opportunity. We'll get to that in a minute. How many people knew this man? Why did this man choose the Sabbath to gather wood? This particular Sabbath. I always ask when I read that, what Sabbath is this? Is this the weekly Sabbath? We'll decide that next week, by the way. Or is this Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles? Which Sabbath is this? Is this the anniversary Sabbath of something? Did the man arbitrarily pick this Sabbath, or had he been waiting to pick this Sabbath? Jesus Christ constantly confronted the Pharisees over the Sabbath, didn't he? He's confronting the Pharisees over himself, ultimately, right? And they always fought over what could be done on the Sabbath. By the way, that's how you get to Luke 14. Luke 14 starts on a Sabbath. This is an Old Testament portrayal of Luke 14, in some sense, of all of them. All of those New Testament Sabbath confrontations, Luke 14 being another one, between the God of the Sabbath, the God who is the Sabbath, and the brood of the serpents, of the, of the serpent. So I have serpent versus God here, if you will. I have little serpents against the rod of Aaron. That's how... All of this begins to fit together. That, of course, has me wondering. Who found him? Those who found him. Where is those who found him? Right here. I want to know who the those is. Did they know where to find him? Did those All the time the Pharisees have brought somebody in front of Christ. And it was always part of a plan. So I have to ask myself. And with all the Sabbath confrontations that goes on in the New Testament, does this follow the same pattern? Did those who found the this man know that the this man, did they know that this, I'm sorry, I could hardly say it. Did those who found the this man, did they know the this man? And did the this man know them? Does that make sense? If it does, you're starting to think like me. And did the those and the this man do this with the this man as part of some test or challenge to the prophet Moses and the high priest Aaron. Just asking. That's my job after all. Okay. We're going to have to read a lot more verses to figure out what's going on. We're going to have to read now Numbers 15, 22 through 31. Uh, what is it? 22 through 31. These are the laws concerning unintentional sin. And here's my confession now. I will admit, I will confess to reading Numbers 15, uh, 32 through 36 out of context. I did it on purpose. Because again, I wanted to see if anyone in here 
would think that this man who's gathering wood is an innocent man. I do, I do it, like I said, because 15.32-36 through 36 is always separated from Numbers 15.22-31. through 31. And it's always used by those who seek to call God evil. Every time. No exception. Go on the internet. And my poorly hidden method that Bill f- discovered very quickly... Next time, elbow him, crazy Becky, so that I can, you know, have some kind of illusion that I'm fooling anybody, which I know I'm not. But I, I need to have the pretense makes me feel better. But uh, not uh, Numbers fifteen thirty two through thirty six is not what people out there say it is. It is not revealing God to be an erratic, temperamental, merciless, cold-blooded killer as they constantly insist it is. They use it that way all the time. It is the total opposite of that. Jesus Christ, as he just as I just quoted, is a long-suffering, gentle, lowly in heart, willing that none should perish. That is who God is. But He will protect His salvation and His or His plan of salvation and His children from those who delight in murdering them. That's what's going on here. So let's read Numbers 15.22. It's not easy to read. That's why no one reads it. That means it's probably our best part of all of this. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward through your generations, then it will be if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. By the way, every time you read sweet aroma, that's Jesus Christ. With its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole generation, I'm sorry, the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord, for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them because all of the people did it unintentionally. You get in the drift. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. For you shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. One law for unintentional. Stranger or Israeli. Now we're at verse 30. Verse 30 and verse 31 is right before verse 32. Whenever the pastor does one of these kinds of sermons, always look at the two verses before the, what he reads. That usually has the answer. People ask me all the time, you do this sermon in five minutes. That's all true. 
I choose to say if I can fool you first. If I can, don't admit it. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that brings that, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off among his people because he has despised the word. Who's the word? Jesus Christ. Because he, who hates Jesus Christ? Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. What commandment did he break? Okay. Okay, there's eight verses right there on unintentionally committed sin. And two, at the end of the, after those eight, for the person who does presumptuously sin, which means boldly, conceited, pompous, deliberately, despising the word. And immediately after that, we find a guy gathering wood on the Sabbath. Is he unintentional? He is not unintentional. This is a man who despises the word. The word is Christ. On the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Christ. So this is obvious, is it not, that Numbers 15.32-36 is a hateful act. Attended for what? What's his intention? Obviously, gathering wood on the Sabbath has a concealed meaning that is very wicked. How is it so wicked? Well... We've got to read Numbers 15.37 through 41. Notice what I have done. I have waited to read that which is immediately before and that which is immediately after. So let's read that which is immediately after. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, So after the man is taken out and killed by all of the congregation, the Lord speaks Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Explain this to them. If you will. I added that. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. Because of what happened here with this man who was gathering wood on the Sabbath, we're now going to make tassels for all generations of Israel. Do they do it now? They're doing it now. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not Follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So obviously the man gathering wood, now we know why. He was inclined towards harlotry. What does that mean to God? 
and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So there you go, blue tassels on the corners of the garments for all time. There's your answer. Now you know what the guy was doing. Because you remember it with blue tassels. It's got something to do with harlotry. So now all we have to do is figure out the meanings of the blue tassels and the corners and the garments and the harlotry. Right? Easy as cake. Piece of pie. Next week, we will do that. Just know that wood takes you to Luke 14. Luke 14 takes you to the Sabbath. Sabbath takes you to confrontation with the Pharisees. Confrontation with the Pharisees on the Sabbath takes you to Numbers 15. Numbers 15 is an entirety. should not be separated out. And that gets us to blue tassels and corners of garments and what it means. And that you never stop remembering it. Okay. That's the end of that. Shut off the thingy so that no one on the stage is seen. Oops, too late for Amanda. Now you'll be known in Australia. Have you shut it off yet? Do it. Good.